0: Welcome to Upfront the Podcast, I'm Katie Hannon. On the week that Thysiak-Leo said that large-scale EU plans for the re-wetting of farmland are going too far, I'm speaking to someone who says they don't go far enough. Randall Plunkett, also known as the heavy metal baron, is the ancestor of a saint and an advocate of the rewilding movement who returned more than 700 acres of his family estate to nature. Sorry, I need to ask you, how do I address a baron?
1: Uh, well, you can just call me Randall. Uh, there are some unpolite things you could say about me as well. That's quite common. Uh, but just let's keep it Randall. We're in a republic after all.
0: Okay. Um, okay, Randall, let's start with a random question then. Give me a number between 1 and 20.
1: Ooh, 16.
0: Huh, ha! It's a good one to start with. Tell me something I don't know about you.
1: I have been guilty of not putting lids on like plant-based milks, they don't go bad, at least not that quickly. So I've been guilty of that a few times. And there has been many a time at my age where I've fallen asleep during films on the couch and my missus pokes me with a stick.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, Okay. Who are you is the big question to begin with, right? Tell me a little about uh, your family background. And I'll tell you what I was very excited to hear, that you're a direct descendant of Oliver Plunkett.
1: I know it's great. I can say whatever I want. I still get into heaven. Man on the inside. I mean, uh, so we come from the oldest family in Ireland. Uh, The first document that says we were here is actually from 1050. So another 50 years and I can be considered native.
0: You said the oldest. You actually are the oldest.
1: Still associated with one place, yeah.
0: And that place is? Dunsany. Uh, So tell us about Dunsany.
1: So it's a, the homestead of the family. It uh, was built in 1180, and we've been there ever since. We were not like some of those other landlords that you hear about. We were not absent, So except for one period of time when the Cromwellians chased us out. And then we eventually got back, and uh, we've been here ever since. Um, and we've had a few celebrities. We have, obviously, The Saint. Uh, My great grandfather, who was a one of the godfathers of fantasy writing. We had Horace Plunkett, who was the founder of the co-ops and the Department of Agriculture. And
0: a unionist MP, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. And but he uh, was very keen on creating policies that would basically bridge gaps between people. So that was quite interesting. He did a lot for the country that ended up still being taking the benefits today. So,
0: okay, so you've got a beheaded saint, a unionist MP, father of the cooperative movement, father of fantasy fiction, and then you came along.
1: Yeah. And then everything just dropped. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell us about, like you are the baron. I wasn't joking about that.
1: Yeah, that would be uh, the 21st.
0: The 20, and you became the 21st baron when in your father passed yeah. in, 20, in 2011. Um, and at that stage, just describe uh, Dunsany estate for us. What, what, what you inherited at that moment? So
1: a large farm uh some very mature woodlands mixed and parkland and a big big stone building that is like a child that will never grow up and needs constant attention. So um my father used to say to me is like you think that you're gonna have an easy ride. Well you're wrong. Privilege doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna be privileged to enjoy yourself. Privilege means you get the privilege of looking after other people's old stuff. So I'm pretty much a caretaker or a we say a um steward of history. That's how I like to describe myself. My job is to protect the past, try and do as little as possible to, to mess things up in the present and leave something good for the future. That's always been the kind of plunkett model.
0: Did you have the traditional Anglo-Irish boarding school childhood?
1: Well, the problem was, so I was a little bit of a alternative type. Uh, so I did go to boarding school. In fact, I went to Irish school. So I went to Hedford in Kells, great school. It was like Hogwarts, um, without the magic, probably just as cold. Um, so yeah, no, we, we bucked the trend a little bit because traditionally families like mine sent their kids to overseas for school and I did go overseas, but it was not to British school. It was Irish school. And then I went to KH in uh, Palmerstown. And I wasn't very good at any sports or anything. And I was just very much listening to heavy metal and dressing in black. And you can imagine it was great in the 90s. I was definitely the black sheep.
0: Okay, but the black sheep became the baron. How did you feel about taking over the estate?
1: God, I hated it. I was scared as hell. Uh, Because the problem is, look, you have a group of uh, people like my family who have all been high achievers. And you realize you can't even pass Irish. Uh, What are you going to do? And I'm thinking to myself, "Oh my God, I am a, can barely string a sentence together. I'm bottom of my class in everything. Uh, so, oh God, am I going to be the generation that becomes the end?" Um, and I didn't like the countryside to boot. What age were you then? Twelve years ago. So I was about 28. And had you been prepared for what was coming at that? Absolutely. So in my family, we're <laughs> we're a lot like a bunch of Indians. We 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 tell stories, we tell the history over and over and over again. The idea is that we are prepared from a very young age to be basically the stewards, so you have to learn the history. You have to know where it came from. You have to know how to look after it. You have to learn that you're not going to be able to get away with just one thing. That's what a lot of people don't understand about places like Dunsany is, unless the state is involved, in which case, basically, it's just a government OPW thing. Most people who have these kinds of estates, they're, they, they are working seven days a week to keep them going because they are monstrously expensive and often they come with people who've been working there. In fact, I've got lots of people who've been working with us for, I mean, my oldest employee has been there since 1980.
0: Can I ask you how many staff work on Dunsany? Yeah,
1: we're in a kind of a bad moment now. We had about three. <laughs> okay. It used to be 52.
0: <laughs> was, it down, was it a Downton Abbey type?
1: All those places were at one point. Um, but... Horace Plunkett, for example, nearly bankrupted us because he spent the family fortune building, uh, like, 2,000 schools here in Ireland. And uh, so...
0: He actually spent family money.
1: Absolutely. And actually, my great-grandfather was told that you were going to have to get a job. And back then, people like us didn't work. We played polo. (laughs) But no, he was told he'd have to get a job. And then he depressed everybody when he said, well, I'll just be a writer then. And then... I think everybody went silent because writers make no money and they got, oh, God, going to have to sell the castle. But he did. And he wrote and made money, which is a rarity.
0: So where did this idea, because it was at this stage a productive working farm when when you took it over?
1: It still is. Um, So the problem is with every generation, we have a, a battle in the past with Horace Plunkett. It was about how do we get the farmers to start producing money. How do we, we feed the country? How do we create opportunities? It, we were a new Ireland and uh, things are always difficult at the beginning. So Horace tried to start the co-ops and that was great. That gave farmers an opportunity because they were being crushed. Um, now we were very successful and the cost of our success was we've lost our natural heritage. And this is a country that's very proud of its history, its language, but we're abysmal with our natural heritage. And that makes so much part of who we are. Like when you look at our literature, it always talks about the land, the plants, our lore. And yet we have so little respect for it. So I am trying my best to protect that as where possible. It's uh, not the easiest thing to do. But um, there was a moment where I realized that our great war was going to be climate change. And the truth is, is that uh, when you're born into privilege, people presume that's just an excuse for you to be you know, rich and go around gallivant on a horse and drink pims and go to parties. But that's not really what it is. It's also the privilege to do something with that's worthwhile for your people, for your time. Whether we succeed or not, that's never really the point. The point is the attempt to try and do something. Now, Horace did something amazing that today we are still getting the fruits and the benefits of but like everything, it comes with a cost. And we have been victims of our own success because when all when we were successful in farming, we lost many of the animals, we lost many of the trees. And now we face our, uh, a very scary future because what is gonna happen with climate change? How is Ireland gonna change? How are we gonna feed people? How is the systems gonna work?
0: Are you a disciple of you know, is there is there a figure that was was there a moment or a book that that opened your eyes to this uh, and you realised this this is where I have to go with the estate?
1: This is going to be very bad. But being as ignorant as I am, um, I rejected nature. I rejected everything because I, I liked it from afar, as in I liked the idea of it, but I didn't want to be involved in it. And when I took over, I began to spend a lot of time watching it. And there's an old saying that if if you spend enough time in a place, you become that place. And I think that's more what happened to me. And I began to realize that, you know, there's so many victims around who are not represented. And those are very much the animals, the trees, the wild, the dirt. And it's interesting how we describe dirt, because dirt is normally has the connotations of negativity. Someone's not worth dirt. But we kill for dirt. We fought for dirt. So it's amazing how we treat this valuable thing with such disrespect. Um, And I feel that there's always a saying that, you know, if you're not happy with something, then do something about it because there's plenty of complainers and they ain't doing nothing.
0: Okay, so you decided to do something?
1: I did. I didn't have a word for it at the time. At the time I called it nature conservation. But to be honest, nature conservation is kind of like British people walking around Spain with sandals and socks on. It's weird and just gets you odd looks. So eventually I heard another term that came many years later and it actually fit what I was doing much better and that was rewilding. Now that was sexy. You can put that on a t-shirt. Rewilding. So I was like, no, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, but then I realized that I wasn't quite doing the traditional rewilding which is a lot of the time regenerative grazing mixed in all these things and bringing buffalo back and glamping and yoga and all that other stuff. I was doing actually something else. I was doing something called v-wilding or vegan rewilding because what we try to do at Dunsany is very different. We consider all life to be equal and without sounding very hippy-woo-woo about the whole thing. If you want um, respect, if you want inclusion, uh, if you want to get rid of sexism and racism, you have to look at it uh, how those things are formed. Those are formed with ideas. Brain is a muscle like any other. If you train it badly, that kind of thought pattern will just extend further and further out. It starts with how you devalue a life like a chicken and ends with you not liking black people. So if you want to conquer that, if you want, and I'm a guy with two daughters, so sexism for me is very important. I'm facing two children who are going into a very perilous world, and I want the best for them. But I want the best for them because that's what we all think is just normal when it has rather than something that we are trying to fix with a tick box system. And that's what I want. I, I think I, what I would like to see in the future is, is the lines of, of separation uh, broken and a new paradigm to be created. And the thing is, is although that sounds like wishy-washy, idealistic systems, it always sounds like idealistic systems until things change. It used to be a pipe dream to go to space. And Elon Musk is going to go to space and go on holiday.
0: When did you eat your last burger?
1: I would say nine years ago. I, I've been re, officially rewilding for since 2014, officially, unofficially, there were areas earlier than that, about 2009, so a while, and you know what? It's difficult, I like my bacon, I like my eggs, I like my cheese, but you know what's worse? Is people say to me, oh, they'll kill for their kids. Oh, do this, anything for my kids. Some of your decision-making has a negative for their future. Giving up hamburgers is a small price to pay, for having a future.
0: Did your neighbors come on board with this?
1: God, no. (laughs) They thought I was an idiot. I was the local idiot for several years because you have to understand, um, I'm a very sort of nihilistic kind of personality. I just do things. Um, And uh, I didn't tell anybody. I was just, I'm gonna do this thing. Nobody could understand why, what I was hoping to do with it because there was like, well, where are you gonna make the money? There's gonna be no money. It's just gonna be. And they thought, well, isn't that very grand of the aristocracy being decadent? Okay, so I did it, and the neighbors at first thought that I was just the biggest weed farmer in County Meath. Um, In fact, it was so yellow from all the ragwort, I thought the council was going to send me a nasty letter. Thankfully, they never sent me a crappy letter, but I was really scared because, you know, I had just started my, my journey, and I had all these weeds, and you know what? The farmers were right. They said it would just be ruined, and I was like, oh, God. They were you know, right. Why didn't I just listen? But you know what? The truth is, it completely cured itself. And that's the beauty. Of you it. literally didn't touch it. Well, I tried at the beginning. Uh, I figured that if I pulled 50 ragwort a day, not only would I have great biceps for summer and the girls would love it and I could take loads of like bicep pose selfies. And then I stopped because, you know, I got lazy. Uh-huh. And then it just became worse and worse. And so the first year, it was a failure. The second year, worse. Third year, the weeds were on steroids. And by the fourth year, mm, a little bit better. And then the fifth year was gone. And instead, what we had was wildflowers, different plants, mosses, insects that would be like you were in the Amazon. Oh, yes. But yeah, nobody can stand on a piece of grass without being eaten alive.
0: Wow. And... I, I presume your neighbours were worried that the Ragworth would...
1: Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that they have more Ragworth them. than I have now. But the thing is, at first, they, they didn't really... A lot of the neighbours just didn't understand what was going on because they saw all this, like, prime agricultural land and it was just seemed to be going to waste. And I, then, I just
0: think of my father would have looked at that and just thought, that is just a complete disgrace.
1: What do you think my great-grandfather might have said who, who, who started the agricultural co-ops? But the truth is, in our father's generation it was a different set of problems. You know, we had to feed people. Now we're very good at feeding people. We have a huge production, but now we have no ecology. We are on biodiversity disaster. So I would say your father and my great, great uncle would probably be trying to rewild now because the truth of the matter is that's actually what we're missing now. It's not, you see, a lot of people think, ah, but you know, we we have to blame the farmers. No that's divisiveness. Divisiveness doesn't help. What we have to do is the farmers are people like everybody else. They will do what what needs to be done. They're trying to produce food for us all to eat. So it's not about demonizing people. Uh, that's, that's where people get it wrong. It's about including people. Everybody has a part to play. We have to be curtail certain practices in favor of others for the benefit of everything because it's not... We have to modernize. We have to always be hungry looking for the next evolution of what we're doing we evolved with industrial agriculture
0: okay a farmer will look at you and say well it's all very well for mr high and mighty with his 700 acres to uh, allow his fields to go to seed, literally but i have to put food on the table i have to milk my cows i have to get pasture for my for my cattle Mm -hmm. like what do you say to a farmer with very limited resources and their resource is this th- this grass that they have tended to all their lives.
1: Well, first off, I would say most farmers today, most, I'm not going to completely um, say every farmer, but most farmers today live off subsidies, right? They, they, they don't get much for the herd. The majority of farmers that I know get a huge chunk from the European Union for milk or for anything else, right? So the single farm payments, that's what they call them, right? The single farm payments are a big cornerstone of how farm, we can keep food cheap at the supermarket, a lot of the time the farmers aren't getting great money for what their product, and they're only able to keep alive. And we're talking the small to medium farmers here because of that payout. So they're subsidized. If they were subsidized in the other direction, I know a lot of farmers would love to do stuff like wetting land or planting forestry. The problem is, is the economics. Now we subsidize heavily for animal production, and animal production, although people like it, it's traditional, it's not the best use of, of, uh, for, per calorie, per input. Because you can get a lot more food out of, out of a 10-acre lot of grain than you can from 10 acres is what, 10, 10 can cattle? I mean, that's not, that's not a huge amount. There's a huge amount of water that needs to go into that, feeds, and then um, the local meat plants will try and squeeze where possible. So you really do end up having to get a lot, of, a lot of crutch off the state. So at the moment, there isn't a really a, uh, uh, any financial incentive to do what I'm doing. In fact, I should point out, I have, yet, I have never received a penny for anything rewilding related or environmentally re, uh, related. Now, we have, done, we have been very successful at returning species. We, are, we planted 2,000 trees this year. Um, we're doing it, and I pay for that and let me be very clear here, I pay for it, and it's not that I'm rolling that I can just throw money out the window, like I'm not Conor McGregor, but when a decision is made, we have to, because it is for the future. It's, not, it's difficult today to make the change, but the truth is tomorrow, people need bees, for example. How is a plant, how is a crop farmer gonna get away if they have no pollinators? Well, I know there's many chemical companies who will suddenly produce a genetically modified uh, bee that can do it. But then we're in we're in the hands of big corporations. People forget that if there's no rain, we have drought. And then what? Because all those people are reliant on the system working. Today it's working, but it's not working in Italy.
0: But without the whole of of the CAP being, you know, reorientated towards this sort of non production rather than production as it as it now is really it's very it's a hard ask you accept it's for farmers. a hard ask
1: to give nothing back because
0: That's you're not are you getting any income nope. out of your no nope. so, but do you do you have limitless resources to do to do uh, this no
1: it's a hard hard amount of sacrificing and budgeting i work very hard because people think ah castle must must just be sitting there on a pony no i work seven days a week because to lose the money that i was making off the land that i rewild. You know, it's it's like everybody else. It's You're always one check away from, from disaster. But the thing is, is that what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to illustrate is for knowledge. With knowledge, we have power. We have power to, to survive the future. Um, and I do believe that there is an evolution coming, whether we like it or not, because the reality of it is, look at Italy today. They're underwater. Look at Spain. People complaining, we need to eat, we need to feed. Well, what happens when there's no rain? How are the Irish farmers going to deal with that? How are they gonna deal with with soil erosion? These are all real problems. What happens if there's another big problem and suddenly we don't have fertilizers or pesticides? We're not gonna be able to produce very well then. What happens if there's another fodder crisis? Because that only was a few years ago. And in fact, I had a gentleman drive up on me while I was planting a tree and he said to me, ooh, you have six foot tall grass and it's all perfectly green. I'll give you 35,000 euros to cut it. And I said, no, even though secretly inside, I nearly had a heart attack. I didn't want to tell my mother the money that was offered. But if you compromise once, you'll compromise every time. And it's, it's not, you know, being a, 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 a Joan of Arc about it. But the truth is, there is a problem coming. And we had problems in the past with starvation and we created uh, industrial agriculture and we got past them. Now we, we even flourished. But there will be problems in the future, and the biodiversity crisis will have a knock-on effect to agriculture, whether people like it or not. And we have to start countering for both. It's not turning all land into, into rewilding, that would be mad. But what we do have to do is start incorporating nature into many of our decision-making. It, it starts with the cities as well, because bees, for example, are doing better in the cities today than they are in the country. So do we have to try and make the country better, or do we take advantage of the city? It's not just up to the farmers. I, I, I kind of can relate. I'm a farmer. I'm a, I'm a beneficiary of the status quo. I pay my bills with agricultural money. So this hurts me too, technically. But that just because it hurts me today doesn't mean it won't hurt me twice as much in, in 10 years time.
0: Okay. Another random question. Okay, random. here we go. Give me another number.
1: Uh, 11.
0: Oh, cats or dogs? Dogs. Always.
1: I like all animals, but I have a soft spot for dogs. I had six dogs till very recently. Aww. Now I'm on five. Aww. Still can't train them to fetch anything. or Would it hurt them so much to get my slippers from time to time?
0: Tell me about the animals that you have brought back to the farm. So
1: when I started, there were foxes. There was a few deer. Lots of crows. And then when I started doing this, then we started getting birds of prey. Then the warblers and other strange birds. Then we got otters, and we started having all kinds. of things. we have uh, peregrine falcons now, red uh-huh. kites. Um, did I say otters? Otters. And then stoats. We have found, what else did we have? Oh, um. Snipe. Badgers. Snipe. You know, I was with the national parks, and I was with one of the fellas there, and I was walking the thing, and I said, my dream is to have snipes. And then he just pulled up his binoculars across one of the grasslands and just went, ah, some over there can knock that off your list. And I was like, oh, great. I can walk around with my chest pushed out like Conor McGregor. And I'm like, oh, yeah, everything's good. Everything's going.
0: Would you ever hunt?
1: God, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I hunt for tofu in my fridge. But that's, a, <laughs> that's about as good as I get. No. no. But
0: was there a tra- tradition of that in the family? Hunting? It, yeah. Oh,
1: God, yeah. So I have, like, you know, heads of animals all over my, my house uh, and skins and things. It's very morbid. Um, and you know, I have a big painting on my, on my wall of people with hounds. Now I completely don't condone with that kind of behavior because it's this kind of hunting of innocence is, is, is the habit of the vicious. Um, I'm not into that. I'm all about trying to include people and try and, you know, have respect for life. So absolutely no hunting. Uh, like I said, I hunt tofu at the supermarket sometimes. But that's as far as I go. No, we are trying to set an example. We had to hunt back in the old days for food. Nowadays, we have Tesco. And you know what? To be honest, we don't have to do that. We really should try and respect things more. And then I, that's where I'm at. So um, no more hunting in Dunsany. In fact, it's an um, animal sanctuary, if you like.
0: Um, did you say there you you've had no grants from any government agencies or from Europe? Nope. Nothing. Nothing. And have you had any visits from?
1: So there was an Irish, I think it was Irish Times came out. And uh, I had, uh, because I'm a loud mouth, as you can tell. I said, well, nobody has ever bothered to come and see us. And so I did have a a visitor from Fianna But nobody in the upper echelons has come. Certainly not the climate minister. I've had Sinn Féin. They actually came. Uh, and respect to them. Who came from from Sinn Féin? Um, Lynn Boland. She even had tea with me. Lovely woman. But the thing is, I'm open to everybody. And the thing is, this is not about profiteering. I'm not doing glamping. There's no yoga or or like, you know, food fairs or any of that stuff. This is about knowledge. So I'm trying to to be part of the facilitator of knowledge, untapped knowledge, everything that we discover at is Open Source. Nobody owns it. So that's the idea. So I'm trying to incorporate more schools. And you know what? I think I think a, a more socialized concept of knowledge is definitely required. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. And and often when you take people's money, you suddenly have to compromise. So I once called up the department. And I was like, well, so what can I get for mature forests in protecting it? And they said, oh, well, you have this continuous cover grant. And I was like, oh, that sounds very sexy. What, what is that? And they said, Oh, we'll give you some money for looking after the forest. And I was like, Ooh, fantastic. And then they said, But you'd have to remove all the non-natives. Okay. So that's like two thirds of the mature forest because you're gonna cut down two hundred year old beaches. And they so they, they said, I can we can give you a nice grant if you cut down all these mature trees for a little chunk change. And then they and I said, Well, I'm not gonna do that because that would be crazy. Um and then just the woman said to me, and God bless her, she was very nice. She said, oh, well, you could always plant spruce. <laughs> Mike." <Dwayne. laughs> so that's what I was dealing with. So um, that's what I got. Uh, I didn't plant spruce, by the way. Um, and I didn't cut down any trees because, to be honest, uh, vandalism isn't in my repertoire. So uh, land destroyer, maybe. People can say that but vandalism no and cutting down 200 year old beeches or or cutting down a tree because it has been here a thousand years or whatever and this one not is is what nazis do and i don't do that stuff so tree is tree we have now lose we've lost our ash trees or largely losing them we have lost the elm tree we now have new trees like the beech tree it's not that new but the beech tree that's not native exactly but then if you want to go far enough i'm not native and then unless you want to chuck me out with the beech trees the truth of the matter is is that we have to embrace change because nothing in nature is is, is static what's constantly changing and evolving we are moving constantly so our society is changing if you look at dublin today you walk around you see a lot of different colored people different religions different sexes Is that something we should resist and say only Ireland for the Irish or do we accept the fact that now Ireland is going to be multicultural, multiracial and embrace change as an ever-changing thing? Now, you can call me a hippie, woo-woo, leftist if you like, but the truth is um, I do, do believe in inclusion. Many years ago, you know, having great ideas put together creates solutions for the future and everybody has something to offer.
0: You've been threatened. (laughs) <laughs> All the time. But you have you have oh, yeah. gotten actual.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think it was in two thousand sixteen. There was a bullet that came through the window. There was
0: oh, sorry fired from a gun through the window. Yeah.
1: No, I don't know if it was intentionally aimed at us or. But it blew out a window. It was a a security window, so it absolutely blew the hell out of that. Um, I've had people threaten to beat me up. People threatening to set fire to my house. Uh, they did say that you know they used the Game of Thrones uh, a- analogy. We'll put their heads on pikes and set fire to the castle. Um, now, as a guy who watches Game of Thrones, I smiled and uh, politely called the guards.
0: Um, why? So why? What? What, what was behind the threat? If you want threads?
1: to change anything, and here, here, and this, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people getting very upset about this conversation. But nobody likes change. Nobody likes to to be. Um, the way they live to be attacked, including myself. And back in the old days, I used to get very defensive when anyone tried to show their vegan propaganda on me. But the truth is, is that change is natural. If we don't change, things stay stagnant, and stagnant brings death. So the problem is, when you change a place like Dunsany, that was once a place for hunting, a place where people would be on horses and chase innocent animals to death... Uh, And you suddenly say, that's enough is enough. We're not going to accept any of that right now. And then you go to war with people and say, absolutely not. I'm going to be there every time to stop you from doing these things. You're going to get pushback. And what I'm doing or what I did, it's not even that much of a novelty anymore. But what I started was something that was very against the grain. And as a result, I got a massive pushback. Um, The only thing is, is that I'm kind of crazy. So I took it in my stride. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, is that any clash it was it was rough because a hun- the hunting community took a big dislike to me particularly when i say hunting i mean people on horses and hounds um which is ironic because they call me english bastard but the thing is they're celebrating a uh, a tradition that was used to intimidate the poor in ireland so who's really who's really at fault here so i had a lot of problem with that and poachers so the poachers would come at dawn so i started coming at dawn they'd come at night i started coming at night they'd come at Late night, I started doing patrols at late night. And then I got friends to help. And, you know, we set up cameras. So And then we started going after people, like prosecuting them and stuff. Because the, at the moment here, Ireland has a lot of laws against uh, animal abuse and stuff like that. But we have the least enforcement in Europe.
0: But you must, I mean, that is scary, though. If shots, bullets through the window, yeah. especially when you've got children in the house.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think in, I think it was in 2019, you can check with this with the police, but they had so many calls for me. I think I counted once. It was 36 calls in six months. It was, you know, it was so bad at one point. I think the guards would just, they'd know me straight away when they called. They didn't even need to get my details. I was like a—I was like their customer of the month.
0: But you're being cheery about it now and kind of being a little jokey about it. But i, I, I that must be a very, scary. this is your home. Yeah. And this is very and serious look, violence. I, I have
1: cameras all over my car. I walk, when I go on my little patrols, I have a camera strapped to me. Because very likely, and it's happened before, uh, they've shot people who've uh, who've gotten in the way of these things. Um, But you know, I come from a long line of brawlers, and you know, I stand for what I believe Uh, in—good, bad, or indifferent. Ireland needs to change if we are to survive another generation, and it starts with the first step. And this is the first step, Um, you know. And that's that's the thing. And and if we buckle at the first sign of pressure. We won't achieve anything. And look, it, it is very, it's a small thing what I'm doing, but small things turn into big things. And what we're trying to do is lead by example. You know, I don't like to preach at people, actually, I love to preach at people, but I don't, I don't love to, to say things and then not walk the line.
0: Okay. I want to talk about the, uh, what's happening in Europe now with this, um, this new nature restoration legislation. One uh, last uh, random question though before we do that. Okay. Another number? Six. Is there any poem or any quotation or any song that has affected you deeply that you go back to again and again?
1: Confucius. I hope I said that right. I didn't butcher that. I'm sure it's completely different in Chinese. Um, Confucius said, if you want to, the man who tries to move a mountain has to start with small stones. And that's the basis of everything I do. Your whole philosophy. Yeah. Because what I'm doing and people say to me oh but China yeah but there's also another saying that I often go my mother was Brazilian so she used to say a saying "Macaco olha so habu. and that means translated monkey look at your own tail and that's that's a real thing we cannot look elsewhere and say well I, my neighbor doesn't do it so I'm not gonna do it that's not how we do things we have to fix things ourselves and then others will follow so that's that's pretty much true. and I think Ireland is a country that is a small country but has a huge presence in the world stage. And what I see here is the potentiality to lead. And I see instead this sort of cruising attitude. And look, that's might be fine today. I think it's a massive loss of opportunity.
0: Uh, You know, we we obviously had a debate about the nature restoration legislation on our show on Monday night. And there is a lot of resistance, obviously, to it. Um, A lot of confusion, I think, about what it means or what it might mean for people. You know, when you see the way that debate has developed, what do you think?
1: So the thing is, with the nature law, we have to plan ahead. We've been very successful at the things we're doing, but it's coming at a cost. That cost is becoming more dangerous every day because we have problems with immigration today because of a war, because of economics. When we start to have climate immigration, it's going to be much worse. So we have to try and protect ourselves. We have to protect our future. And I, I nature is part of it. It's the bit that we've been neglecting. But eventually the, the, the check comes and we have to pay for it. So I think it is the first step. It's going to be difficult. There's a lot of people who are going to be unhappy. Where we have to be very clear is the framework. Because the problem with Ireland today Let's take recycling, for example. People, I spend a lot of time washing plastic cups and stuff like that to recycle. And then I hear this story that the recyclers are sending it to China and only recycling 20% of what I'm doing. That can't happen with this. Otherwise, you know what? Absolutely don't bother. Because let's, let's have enough. We've had enough lies. We've had enough false truths. If we're going to do this, let's do it properly. Let's have... If we make the laws, let's control the laws. Otherwise, let's not bother. Let's all throw plastic out our windows as we drive home today. Because that's what I'm talking about. We have to stop this kind of mixed signals. And I do think we have to have nature restoration. I do see potential for that. I also see potential for money to be made from that. And farmers could be on the cornerstone of that. Communities will benefit as well. We do need to have this on all levels. But it's not. we can't marginalize people. We cannot try and resist. And we have to pay for it. We have to put value on these things, and then people will want to do them. But the problem is, you know, you're a farmer, you're working crazy hours to try and produce a very small amount of money for your labor, and then suddenly you're demonized in the media, and now you're told that you have to plant trees and have to wetland, something that three generations of your family has tried to fight against, and you wonder why they're annoyed. Absolutely annoyed. Mixed signals. A lot of farmers would be happy if they made the economic, um, if they got... Better money for it. So let's start paying. Let's start subsidising this properly. And let's have a framework.
0: Do you think, I mean, you, I'm sure you saw the movie Don't Look Up.
1: I didn't actually.
0: You never saw Don't Look Up.
1: Believe it or not, my life is very boring. I have to work quite late in the nights, And my kids have seen it. And they told me I should
0: see it. You understand the premise. The classic premise of the scientists who know this terrible thing is happening. And... Um,
1: I sort of feel like that. I, I sort of feel like the Leonardo DiCaprio character, trying to tell everybody and everybody thinks I'm a, I'm a nut.
0: Do you worry about a dystopia? You have you have two young children. A dystopian future for them.
1: Absolutely. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's not because I like to feel good in the morning because I'm losing loads of money for, and watching grass grow. Um, it's a long-term thing. Because the reality of it is, if we discover how to use nature solutions, we have a chance at reversing this. Um, But the problem is, we have a a curated science that's picked and very much popularized by people selling you products. I don't sell products, so anything that I'm going to come up find is there for everybody to see. Um, There is a real chance, and I I sort of I went to Poland recently on a speaking um, arrangement, and I was treated very well there and they took me around and I talked to those people and they were told me about the stories that happened when they were kids when they were under Soviet occupation and how difficult life was they had to you know find mushrooms in the woods they had to preserve their vegetables to to struggle because they couldn't guarantee that they were gonna have food in the supermarkets you know what that sounds like that sounds a lot like how the future might be because today everything's groovy but like I said Spain is struggling Italy's struggling What happens when Germany, France, Ireland starts to struggle with crops and the European Union suddenly starts and France says, I'm not importing or exporting our goods. We're going to keep them domestically. And then what happens? You see, we created a food structure that is everybody's eating the same stuff. It's one big system. It's a house of cards. You pull one card out, the whole thing will collapse. And then there's a problem. We saw that with COVID. We see that when the Russians invaded Ukraine, the whole system went out of control. So yes, very much so. We are going to have a dystopian future. How bad of a dystopian future is now up to us? Because we could have a situation where we have a momentary bump and things are a little rough at points and then we kind of solve it. Or we can have Mad Max Thunderdome. I'd like to be, uh, you know, the other side of it. A green utopia would be nice, but Mad Max Thunderdome could well be the fact that we, we live by.
0: And that was Randall Plunkett. Subscribe now to get new episodes on your feet when they're published and get in touch if there's someone you'd like to hear featured. On Twitter, we're at RTE Upfront or send us a WhatsApp message to 087 677 1000. And don't forget to join us on RTE 1 and on the RTE Player at 10.35 on Monday night for my TV show. Talk to you then.